0: When I was a little boy and my dad used to wear it you know you see those old movies where the, the men were all wearing those hats you know even guys on 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 uh, radio you know they'd have their hat on you know and so when I was a little boy my mom my dad always wore a hat he had a hat he wore to church he had a hat he wore when he went out to the grocery store they're all the same kind of hats they weren't baseball caps so when I was a little boy like younger than them, I would on Sundays. I would wear a suit to church, and I had a little hat. And there are some pictures of me with that. So maybe I ought to resurrect that. What do you think? I should start wearing hats again. <laughs> That's this is this is sermon filibuster while the papers are being passed out. Um, yesterday, about this time, I was finishing up. Uh, the prayer time from the morning <clears throat> and I kept I want to say hearing in my spirit, but that's really not that's kind of a confusing phrase in in my mind I kept registering he uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. I just kept thinking that over and over again. it was just resoundingly um, a part of of what I was thinking all through the day. And so I came home, went home, and started to do some little tasks that I was doing around the house. I have to be careful, I'm not supposed to be lifting anything heavy or whatever, so I've been painting instead. And um, not painting like Debbie Kay does. I'm, (laughs) I'm painting walls, painting different things. Wouldn't that be something if I came in with some masterpiece. (laughs) It's it's bad enough that uh, when I paint walls and different things that it it doesn't look crazy. It's just got to look nice. But all through that time, I kept thinking the chastisement of our peace. So mid-afternoon, I started studying this. And I, of course, went to Isaiah 53, because that's where it is, Isaiah 53, 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We all know that. We've sung that chorus. Um, It's it's a mainstay, and and we should rejoice in the sacrifice of Jesus. We should rejoice at what he did on behalf of all of us. And we've taught on this to a number of of degrees in the past over the years, and we've learned of it. But the Lord was showing me something fresh. It doesn't do away with what we've learned, but some fresh perspectives about this. And for me, in the midst of this wonderful prophecy of Isaiah that speaks leading into this and after it about the sacrifice of our Lord, this section really speaks, this verse, in four parts it does align itself perfectly for the way God moves from his throne. Voices, thunders, lightnings, and earthquakes. And as I thought I was going to focus primarily on uh, the chastisement of our peace. But as I begin to look at this, I recognize that every part of this verse was something that the Lord was speaking profoundly about. So we're going to spend a significant uh, percentage of our message today talking about what it meant for him to be wounded for our transgressions. And then we'll follow through with the rest, and we will hit on the the rhema of the chastisement of our peace. But I want us to begin, as I just mentioned, by looking at the wounding of our Lord. Now, this word, wounded, you can look it up. I even gave you the Strong's number, which you really don't need since your Bible program will immediately fling you to that. But this is a halal variation. We mentioned it a bit last Sunday on Sunday School. And it's, it's, it's not the same as the halal that is praise or to illuminate or to depict. It's not the same. But in some ways, it is It is. It is an etymological cousin. And, you know, we we studied about the other halal, which is the primary halal in Scripture. We studied about it being praise, and we studied about how the enemy, Lucifer's name, was a derivative of halal, halal. And we, we talked about that in a number of ways, and it's a profound understanding. But then we would stumble upon, well, no, that's not a good phrase. We would come upon the time where halal was used when David ended up in the hometown of Goliath, and how his GPS must not have been working right, because here he is in the place that hated him more than any other place, and uh, kind of—I <laughs> think I can tell this. I think I can tell this illustration on Sunday morning. I'll just be careful not to look over at Debbie, because she'll she'll nix me halfway through this. But I was—you've re- seen the movie Lincoln that that Spielberg directed and. Uh, Lincoln, at one point, and he really did tell this story, told about um, how that um, uh, one of the one of the primary men from the American Revolution was visiting London, was visiting England, Ethan Allen, and there he was after the Revolution, and America had won its freedom. George Washington was the president, and he was there. What he was there for, I don't know, and. He he was at this gathering, and the, uh, the, the the urge hit him that he had to go to the washroom. You know this. Dennis knows this story. He's probably quoted this one before. Um, and so he goes in there, and there's a painting of George Washington in the washroom of this British. Uh, I don't know if it. W- I don't know if it was a just a house or, or manse or whatever it was. So he comes out of there, and everybody's looking at him. And one of the persons says, uh, "What do you think about having <laughs> having a picture of George Washington in in the washroom?" And and Lincoln said, "Well, I I think that I think that's very fitting." Now I got to be really careful what I say <laughs> next. Is <laughs> it because because nothing can cause an Englishman to concentrate on what he's doing? in that room more than seeing a picture of George Washington. (laughs) And Lincoln told that story, and everybody laughed. Well, when David ends up at Goliath's place, I mean, there was nobody there that liked David. And so David is pretending himself halal, the, the big halal, the light bearer, to be crazy. And that's the word that's used. And we've talked about that from the perspective of being um, being very demonstrative of what God's doing, you know, and being, being a people that will, um, that will depict what God wants to do and live it through, and that's, that's a good thing. And we've said that here David was employing those principles to depict himself as, as crazy. Now, that's true, but to me, that verse and that reference really does link itself to this halal. Because when you see this halal, he was wounded, you recognize that this is translated as to profane, to pollute, to prostitute, to begin from a point of smallness, or as was talked about regarding the peace offering, to bore through a cake or dough. And this word really speaks about coming to a place of depravity. And it could be a negative thing or it could be a positive thing. You have to, you have to choose that. And, and I think that at the essence of what the more prolific halal is, we still have to make that decision. Are we going to emulate what God is wanting to do? Or are we going to begin to forecast defeat? Are we going to forecast despair and darkness? Are we going to be a light bearer? Are we going to be a purveyor of grumbling and murmuring and and just absolute uh, enunciations of fear? And so you see this verse, he was wounded. This is the halal that is to profane, to pollute, to prostitute. Transgression there can be used to talk about rebellion or revolution. At its, at its most minimal, it speaks about you being where you don't belong. And so the very first part of this that speaks about our decision as to whether we're going to be somebody that embraces the voice, what kind of voice are we going to be? Are we going to be the voice calling unto the Lord Are we going to be the voice of those who are saying, ah, this country is messed up. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, I hate life. You know, I just despise this and I despise that. Which voice are we going to be? Israel faced that in the wilderness. And God continued to test them. God said, you know, you can either speak kindly, you can follow Aaron's rod, or you can murmur and be destroyed by the destroyer. Anytime there is a situation where the voice is going to be determined to be spoken, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Everything begins with a voice. And you come to this point where uh, which, which aspect of, of spiritual reality am I going to bra- embrace? Am I going to be a positive voice or I, am I going to be a damning, damning voice? And so here is Jesus. He is wounded for any kind of place of revolution or revolt or uh, incursion. But he's wounded. And this word is this halal etymological cousin. I think this word is a very interesting word for the way it's used in Scripture. I've listed some of them here. Consider this with me. Genesis 4.26, and to Seth, to him also there was born a son. He called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord, to call upon the name of Yahweh. The first measure of, other than Adam communing with God in the cool of the day, which was a measure of commune and prayer. This is mankind in general beginning to call upon the name of Yahweh. And the beginning is this word halal. Let's keep looking. Genesis 11, verses 5 and 6. You know, God comes down in the Tower of Babel, and the Lord came to see the city and the tower the children of, at which the children of men builded. And, the, and Yahweh said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Here again. From a point of nothingness, uh, these people, they, they began this work. God saw it. And he, he really, in a strange way, he didn't commend them, but he specified that they were putting into practice the things that mankind should do for the Lord, but for his purposes. The people are one, they're in one accord, they have one language, and they begin, halal, to do this. And now nothing is restrained for them. So for us, when we determine that we're going to begin to call upon the Lord about something, we need to recognize that nothing is impossible. But we're going to have to deal with the perspective of our things awry, our things off course, which is the essence of what being a saint is. We're called to go to places that look awful and to lay claim to the restoration of God's eternal purpose. But we have to decide that. We have to begin by calling on the name of the Lord. We have to begin by being in one accord and using this empowerment of the spiritual languages God has given. Let's look at another one. After Samson um, had sinned, and then he was blinded, the, the famous passage, oh man, I've heard some power sermons on this, and Samson's hair began to grow again. Woo! Everybody just gets lived up. But how's this began? It's this halal. Here was this guy, like a like a monkey in a cage. The enemy would ridicule him. He was pushing. uh, He was pushing. The, the the mechanized mortar. And, and people were ridiculing him. Here he was, this champion of Israel. And he's blinded now. And they would mock him. But his hair began to grow again. His identity with God. His, his seven locks of covenant as a Nazarite, as a judge. But the beginning is this word. And, you know, Samson at that point, think about it. he could have chosen to just be negative. Everything in his life had gone south and in a big way, in a crash. And here he was blind. How was he going to be a judge that was going to affect any kind of battle maneuver against the enemy as a blind man? I mean, you know, if you... If you watch a Star Wars movie, that one yip man was, was a blind warrior and he trusted the force. But that just doesn't work when you're out in the battlefield. And so, but he chose to believe God. His hair began to grow again. Can you imagine him reaching up and feeling that hair on his head and remembering what it used to mean and what it could begin again? What it could become again? But it's this word, Began. But a dwelling place of God, Second Chronicles three one. Solomon began to build the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in a place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Well, what about this one? These are all big timey passages. I mean, we've sung and danced to these and waved the banner and blown the horn. Here's the, uh, the, the, the worshipers being put out in front of the army. Jehoshaphat is just happy about this. Second Chronicles 20, 22. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. They began... And the list goes on, but it's this odd odd halal where you have to choose, is this really even worth me committing myself? Things look bad. Think about it. Things are nothing. But I'm going to believe that if I begin from here with God, victory will come. Or even in the case of the children in Babel, if we begin in this thing, we can do something, and God looked at it and said, look at this, we're going to have to do something about them. They've embraced this divine principle. This is the word that was used to describe Jesus being wounded. He looked at mankind, you and me, and saw us way off the reservation. I mean, we were way off. We were, we were a wicked sinful creation. And in fact, so much so that God looked to find a, a Pagah and couldn't find anyone. So, it was this issue and this halal, which is why it lines up so perfectly with voices. Because whether you're a praiser in the front of the army with that confederation of enemy forces or whether you're a Samson who's who's blinded and and ridiculed and defeated for all intents and purposes or whether you are um whoever you may be and there are a lot of other illustrations of this word the wounding of Jesus was him deciding that yes there is hope yes there is victory these people are revolting they are they are in revolution against the purpose of God, but yet I am going to embrace it. And I'm going to believe that a victory will come. It's interesting, too, that the root of this particular etymological cousin of the light bearing is hala. And it means to be worn, ill, wounded, pierced, sick. Sounds like good, doesn't it? Good stuff to entreat from a point of weakness. But yet, this is used in some really powerful ways in the Scripture. This is the root of this word we've been looking at. The desperation of King Saul. This is is the worst. I probably should have put this at the end. Uh, He's waiting on Samuel to come. Samuel's delaying his coming. Do you ever feel like God was delaying his coming? You better watch out. so often the prophetic voice of God seems like it's delaying its coming, and the whole issue is, will you wait on it? So the Philistines um, were all around, the people were departing, Samuel hadn't come, and therefore said, I, Saul, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made halah unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Why this was translated as supplication, I don't know. Uh, maybe because they didn't really know how to say it. How would you say this? You know, I have not come before God in the midst of this seeming challenging point and determined if I would lift my voice as his anointed king or not. I just didn't do that. and So instead, I did something. Instead, I... I went and offered. I forced myself and offered a burnt offering. You know, sometimes we spend more time trying to do something in our own device than we, if we'd have spent half the effort to do what God wanted, we'd have been so much better off. Sometimes as a pastor over the years, I heard people talk to me in counseling times and none of you um, but, but they would go through all these scenarios and shenanigans that they went through trying to solve their problem, and I said, I'd finally say, man, you went to a lot of effort to come to this point of defeat. If you had just done what God said, it would have been a lot less effort, and you'd be in blessing right now. But we have a tendency to do that at times, don't we? Instead of doing the simple thing that God asks, we add to a whole bunch of stuff that is just really digging a hole deeper for ourselves. And here's Saul forcing himself to offer a burnt offering when he knew good and well that Samuel had not reneged on any promise to that point. He was going to come. But what the key point is, though, that he did not come to that point. Saul, in his life, when he saw everything going haywire, and it was going haywire, the enemy was all around in the natural. People were leaving him. They were going off in droves. And Saul, being the uh, emotionally challenged individual in that one area, gave place to that, and he said, I did not come to a point of beginning. Sad, isn't it? But I'm not pointing a finger at Saul. I've been there, and I know all of us have been. The, The lament of the lover... Song of songs. I always say this because it's one of the few French things I know. The cantique de cantique. (laughs) Oh, You did not say that right. Well, I tried. Stay me with flagons. Comfort me with apples. You've been comforted by an apple lately? For I am sick of love. Halal. That's, That's it. That's the root of this other halal. The vulnerability of interpreting the mystery of the Lord. Daniel 8, 27. This is for all you seers that dwell by night in the house of the Lord. I, Daniel, fainted and was sick. Hala. Certain days. Afterward, I rose up, did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision. None understood it. You, got, you get to a point with God where when he begins to do something like this, You you find yourself brought to ground zero before Him, which is where He wants you. And then you choose whether I'm going to enunciate the things of the Lord. God brings you to that point. I think this year has been a combination of this as well as kind of a Sabbath rest for us to get things in order and to position us for going forward. But this is part of it. So, one more the essential characteristic of mankind. This is what was said to the enemy the, the I wills of Satan and how he was cast down. And look what the people said to him when he was thrown down. And they shall speak and say unto you, and this was about Lucifer, which I think is an interesting twist the halal. Now here's this odd halal. They shall speak unto you and say, Art thou become weak? as we, art thou become like unto us? And really, whoever these people were, they're saying, hey, top rail on bottom now. You're down here with us. You know, we we have to call unto the Lord. We have to, you've not done that. I just think that's very interesting. So when Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, This is the word that was used. And it really spoke about the contrition of God to say, mankind, I love. My plan for them, I love. My plan for this earth, I love. But I'm going to have to become, I'm going to have to humble myself. I'm going to have to become, though I live in the splendor of heaven, I'm going to have to become as one of them. And I'm going to have to suffer in all points being tempted like they do. And I'm going to have to come to that point so that they can overcome this sense of misplacement, this sense of being out of position, this sense of revolt, this sense of rebellion, and that they can find me and find purpose. So I'm going to have to be wounded for that. What a wonderful thing this is to see. To me, it stirs my heart. And I think t- to a degree, this should be a-, a word to us. We're to be Christ-like. We're to be just as Him. You know, I look at this world, not just our nation, I think, man, there's a lot of things out of place. I mean, way out of place. And people straining it the bit to get more out of place. Being out of place isn't enough. Let's just get as far out of place as we can be. And let's curse God as we go. And I, I think, God, you know, at this point, I can look at this and I see this, I know what your purpose is, but this over here, and and there's that part of me that wants to. Point the finger and judge. But then there's the other part of me as a saint that knows that we must humble ourselves. Proskuneo. We must call unto the Lord because that is the divine solution for people that are out of place. Do you see that? He was wounded. This concept that we've just spoken about for 20 minutes... This was the solution of God for people that have rebelled, revolted, left what he's called them to be, and have transgressed into areas that they don't belong in. God help us to stay on the straight and narrow, but we must consider this in our prayers and in our viewpoints, because what better solution is there than the Lord's solution? You can't improve on that. Who would try? Who would try? This is what God did. Now the next thing is that he was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities, avon, we talked about that. We joked about avon calling. We talked about how this is people trying to cover up their iniquity and make it presentable. Bruised there means to just be, you want to talk about contrite, it's, it's, it's being absolutely disintegrated, Um, you know, and we're bruised in body. That means that blood vessels inside of us have broken, and there's a collection of blood, uh, and it's not pretty. Something that's, that's usually hidden has gone awry, and it doesn't look good. So he was bruised for our iniquities. He He allowed that contrition to come and thence, that's what draws us contrition up into the convection of the secret place of thunder. So you make the choice to do things God's way and lift your voice but then you've got to say I'm I'm going to be as nothing. I'm going to be as dust and I'm going to really embody before you a brokenness so that whatever iniquities people have brought about to try to mask them being off off kilter or out of the place they should be that's what God begins to do and it's a different perspective of what goes on in the secret place of thunder It's, it's God really causing us to become energized and supercharged with tearing away the facades and, and really stripping it away in order for there to be a measure of prospective healing. You know, I, a month ago I was around more doctors than I cared to be and medical technicians and you know, I've said this, every bit of humility I have was on display in more ways than one. And sometimes if you're gonna deal with an issue, you gotta strip it all away and just look at it. And this is, this is being bruised for our iniquities. But then we come to the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Chastisement doesn't, the essence of this word, and you can look it up for yourself, means to be taught, to be trained, to, it, it, in fact, the word, the Hebrew word was used in a lot of other cultures to talk about the training of young people who were being raised to serve in a, a, a kingship or in, in a dominion. Even in Star Wars, they, they had, uh, remember uh, uh, Natalie Portman, you know, she had, what was her name, Padea or something like that? Not Medea, but Padea. And it, it really was a derivative of this that said, you've been trained from the time you were young to rule. And so this, yes, there's a discipline regard to it, but that's not the essence of it. You know, when I went to school, teachers were still spanking kids when I was younger. And uh, some of my Catholic friends, the nuns would whack their knuckles with, uh, with uh, rulers. KDC, you missed out on that during your, your days in Bishop Lynch. I could have sent a yardstick over there. You could have whacked, whacked away. And I think from some of the things you said about your students, you'd have just been a whole lot of whacking and not a whole lot of teaching. you had have been whack happy. But, you know, we, we focus the chastisement and we think this is about beating, and it really is not. The essence is for learning. The essence is for being trained. So when you come to that point of lightning... The chastisement of how we could carry out the plan of God in peace, a shalom, to go forth and to come back in victory. That training, that patterning, that portrayal of a son was upon him. And it's interesting here that upon him and stripes, with his stripes we were healed. Same word. Look it up. It's a double issuance. It's just bang, bang right there. And you know what that word means? It, it, means, it means a lot of things. It, it means to be joined together, to be unified. It was used of people who become married, it was used, it was the word for Hebron that Caleb gained as an inheritance where the kings of Israel were commissioned. And remember that word also could mean a charmer or a witchcraft or somebody that spoke spells. So there again, you have that duplicity of a possibility of a a divine thing or a wicked thing right beside each other. But this assignment to be as a sun, as a lightning bolt from God, as an arrow from his quiver, that training, that, uh, that embracing of mission for peace, he became joined with it. He became somebody who committed himself fully to it. And he became someone who said, I am going to embrace this for those that are coming after me. So the training and the modeling and the patterning of being the Prince of Peace was something that he embraced totally in that point of lightning uh, so that we as sons could follow him and be Christ-like. And then it just continues then with the same word, again, double issuance. And with his stripes, same word is upon him, we are healed, Rapa. The solution, the earthquake, the turning right things uh, in, back into positioning. That embracing, and yes it does, it, it does mean that something would come upon you, uh, uh, I, I, a physical stripe based upon what you had represented and then that becomes you. And we've talked about that. We've delineated off of that to say this speaks about you embracing the calling of God and you laying yourself down and you being willing to suffer with Him that you can reign with Him. But it's not just getting a whooping. You know, I knew a lot of kids when I was growing up that got whoopings almost every week and it didn't change them much. you ever ever know anybody like that? It's like they were thick-skinned and knuckle-headed. And yeah, again, their parents should have probably done different things with them. But the solution of giving them a whooping really didn't change them. In fact, if anything, it hardened them. So this isn't just about laying some stripes on your back. This is about the essence of you embracing and becoming one with the mission of God and you be willing to do whatever was necessary to see victory come and wickedness and witchcraft not win. Hebron. So it's it's very interesting to me that then Rapa comes, which is restoration, which is the fulfillment of what God wants, which is the way things ought to be. You know, when people are healed, it's not like they become Superman. They come into a place where what should be happening is happening now. Isn't that right? It's restored. And so by that embracing of the calling and commission of God that has been formed in heaven, that chastisement of our peace upon him, that principle then brings about the medicine, the empowerment, the dunamis that then brings the rapha. Those four things. He was wounded for our transgressions. was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That is a principle of God from his throne. And really, in those four things, we find what we as saints should be doing in this world today and what the true solution is in the kingdom of God for what we see around us. Every one of these facets, you could choose a different path. Every one of them, you could say, ah, you know, I'm just stirred up. My Irish blood is going, you know, which is mostly whiskey. Uh, my Irish blood, I can say that. It's 70% Irish, so you got a green, I got a green shirt on here. Well, however you blame it on, um, you, you have to choose. Am I going to... Embrace this point of beginnings. Am I going to to choose in this point where profane and pollution and nay nay, even prostitution or a point of smallness or a boring through, am I going to choose in that moment to take the higher ground and to say, I'm going to turn this and call upon you (laughs) very first part of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How beautiful that must have been. And then something happened between that verse and the next. The earth was without form and void. A disaster indicating warfare. The Spirit of God hovered, brooded upon the face of the waters. Darkness was there. You know, God could have just looked at that darkness. Do you know that? And he could have just said, forget it. I'm starting all over. But instead, he said light. What will we say in these days? This is the pattern of our Lord Jesus. This This is his triumph. What a glorious word. How better can we say any words today than to focus on what Jesus did for us and for this world? But here it is. I know things seem really... You know, darkness and gross darkness is burgeoning, isn't it? But my light will shine upon you, God says. Will we be that light? Or we go along with the dismal tide of darkness. So easy to do that. You know, David said in the first psalm, I am not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. I am not even going to associate with them because I know what happens there. They're not offering halal. They're not offering anything proactive or positive. Everything is bad. Everything is nasty. Everything's a curse. Everything is this. Everything is that. Stay out of that. Don't get near that. Because God's solution is right here. So why, and I'm ending with this, why would God be speaking to me yesterday, all day, about the chastisement of our peace when I spent more time talking about the flow pattern of these four things, and specifically the first point. Why didn't he say it was wounded for our transgressions? That's just the way God does things, first of all. Um, Sometimes he leads you to a point, and if you're faithful to go there, then you find out the real reason you're there. But I think there's more to it than that. God is preparing us to be teachers of the way of peace. Now, isn't that what we've been doing? Yeah, we have been. But we ain't seen nothing yet. We haven't. There is such a hunger for the meat that God has given at this table and the table of the saints. And we, as the people of God, need to put a a wonderful, um, divinely ordained, Progression of how to train those that are called to be kings and priests and prophets before God in pneumaticos principles beyond what we've known before, and that chastisement will lead nations into the peace of God that passes human understanding. It will lead individuals and in cities around the world to take a stand. To see the kingdom of God come and the will of God be done. And part of that is to say, Okay, now that you've been taught, now that you see the principle of peace, you've got to become this. It's upon you. You can't play with it. You can't just give it a try until the next dog and whistle show comes through. You you can't you can't just Try it for a little while, and when the first challenge comes, you abandon it. It's got to be upon you. you got to commit to that because when you do that, then the fourth part comes. Then and only then will you be the messenger of Rapa. Same word, double issuance, back to back. Now, we've read this in the King James. I treasure it. I memorized this. It was one of my favorite verses to memorize. Some of you, too. I mean, it helped because you could sing the song, you know, Manot, Well, I was going to say something. What was it? Um, the pneumatic advice. I, I saw the pneumatic, and I was reading it, how it was written, and I didn't say it right. Has that ever happened to any of you? You see a word? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Um, But in order for you to be an agent of restoration and healing, you've got to embrace this double issuance of letting it be upon you and letting it be the thing you were willing to suffer with Him for. This peace was upon Him. This training was upon Him. And with with that embracing, There's healing. That's one of the things that we have reiterated over and over again in this most recent teaching to the Brazilian pastors and leaders that we're bringing you the Word of God. This is not some American thing. This is not some thing that just this ministry has. This is God's Word. And you've got to determine whether you're going to make this alive in you or whether you're just going to try it out. If you're just going to try it out, I bless you. But you're probably not going to stick here. We want to be the agent of restoration. We've got to do these four things, which is what Jesus did. We've got to become as a voice crying in the midst of the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. That voice. You remember ever wonder about the friend of the bridegroom and John. You know, Here he is in the wilderness. He's roaming around in loincloth, eating locusts and wild honey. And that's delectable. <laughs> you don't see that advertised on TV. Come to Jamaica, man. Live in the wilderness. No, no, you're on, you're on the beach. Here's this guy. What do you think his natural words should have been in the wilderness? eating that diet, roaming around. Well, I think for any human, most humans, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be prepare the way of the Lord. It would be prepare my way out of here. <laughs> right? <laughs> but he calls upon God. Prepare the way of the Lord. This desert can become a fruitful plain. It's our decision And if there was ever a time where mankind was faced with this, it's now when the end of all things is near. And wounded for transgression, you might as well just extrapolate the voice of one crying in a wilderness because it's the same principle right there. Bruised for our iniquities you got to break it all down. you got to become contrite, to be caught up before the Lord. Strip off the pretenses of iniquity in yourself so that you then can be somebody who can speak light into those people and those scenarios and those nations that are just ensconced with iniquity. Chastisement of peace. You're, you're, you, you've, you've embraced these first two dimensions. Now... You're being trained as a son, as a lightning bolt from the Lord, to be sent forth as an arrow from his quiver. You want to accomplish his task. And you embrace it. You become it. Yeah, I remember in Bible college, I said I was finished. It's still not 1230 yet. I remember in Bible college, a couple of professors I had, they'd say there was one old, older man. I loved him. He was a great teacher. But he'd say, now let me tell you something, you young pastors. There's the ministry and there's you. Don't become the ministry. Because it'll break you. He'd say those kinds of things. And I understood that. I mean, you know, when you're just pastoring. You can't allow your identity as as a pastor to become so rigid that when people do wacky things that you become disjoint. I understood what he meant. But in this, if you're partnering with the Lord and you don't become what he's called you to be, you ain't going to make it. I'm not talking about a political position. I'm not talking about something people vote you into office for. I'm not talking about any kind of public persona. I'm talking about who you are before God. And we have to become that because that's going to be the way that we bring healing, and restoration. So Father, I pray that we as a saints network will become more like you, that we would represent what it means to be Christ-like and that we would forevermore throughout eternity rejoice in this principle and yes, in the demonstra- in the demonstration of it, yes, Jesus was, pierced. Yes, he was bruised. Yes, he was ridiculed by people who wanted him to become what they wanted him to be. And he was beaten. We're not saying that those things did not happen. We cherish that. But the underwriting principle that lasts through eternity is what these words from Isaiah speak. And if we just stop at the obvious no matter how glorious it is, we miss the onus of what Jesus really represented. Help us to see that and to be that. Help us to be your agents in this world that we would be good and faithful servants. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for being that perfect sacrifice. We thank you for patterning this for us. Help us now to become this in a way beyond what we've known. And we thank you for it, Father. We love you. I speak blessing over every member of this congregation. Those who are here, those who are unable to be here this morning, wherever you may be watching this, I pronounce the blessing of the Most High God upon you. I continue to declare the blood of Jesus over you within you, upon you, around you, so that you will be empowered by that blood and protected from this pandemic scourge. Thank you for protecting us. And I, I ask that God would provide everything you need, that you would not be discouraged, but you would be encouraged, and that you, all of us, would embrace this word. I pronounce that blessing. And upon our Saints Network family, around the world, we release from the throne of God the blessing of the Most High upon all of you. May God walk with you in mysterious and wonderful ways. Continue to teach us your ways. And we thank you for this, Father, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.